In other words, don't be an amateur unless it's in the film business. <laughs> <laughs> That's solid, man. I got to write this stuff down. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, it's Thursday morning. That means it's time for another Lifestyle Business Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my comrade, my co-hostess, with the Moses man who makes it rain in Bangkok. Should I compare you with a monsoon? The rainy season, perhaps? That would be nice. It's, it's solid. If you guys stick around to the end of the episode, we will share with you one of Ian's hottest new techniques for online internet espionage. You could get hired by the CIA, CIA bro, if this business thing doesn't work out. First, let's talk some shouts. This podcast got rated five stars on iTunes. Let's get the applause effect. It's called a must listen, Ian. There's a lot of theoretical advice out there on startups, but Dan and Ian, or the Dean. That's cute. Does he really say that? I just came up with that. No. Continually provide actionable insight. I look forward to the LBP every Thursday morning. That's right, it's Thursday morning. Thank you. And uh, we got another review that says, thanks, guys. The LBP needs to be a mandatory prereq for every self-employed person in the galaxy. Your content is so devastatingly crucial. Thank you. Wow, that makes us sound important. It makes us sound good. All right. I was wondering if you guys have any specific techniques on dealing with Filipinos and Filipino culture. Somebody called me out on a message board the other day, Rye, saying that someone called him out and said, you know, it's just a problem. You don't understand the, the cultural issues surrounding working with Filipinos. What say you? Do you, do you dig this? Uh, what's the key cultural issues? I'm not sure in this particular instance what, what the problem was, but uh, we both spent quite a bit of time in the Philippines. I feel like I know and am friends with a couple of Philippines. So, uh, yeah, what's the issue here? What are the big known unknown quantities in the Philippines? I'd say there's two things. Number one, People will ghost out on you like crazy, and this is just like the disappearing act that everybody talks about. Expect it. Know that it's going to come. Someone's going to fall off the side of a mountain and disappear from your, your life. That's a downside. The second thing is that I think you know, you're know going to have an issue with proactivity sometimes. Oftentimes, if you give a task that is too intense, people would fold rather than explain to you what they don't understand. Yeah, I think that's true. And to be fair, uh, most of the people that we've hired in the Philippines are not just like plug-in kind of guys, like yeah. call center guys. These are people that a lot of times have to do creative work and things like that. Yeah, the opportunity in the Philippines isn't on the low end, really. That's where everybody talks about it because it's a great sales pitch to say, go to the Philippines for 350 bucks a month. But the real opportunity in the Philippines is to get like highly skilled people like WordPress developers, designers, people like that. I mean, it's, it's a little bit harder to hire the mid to high range people. But those are the people where, you know, you don't have to worry about these kind of low-end staffing sorts of issues, right? If, if you get what you pay for, if you go for low-end staff, it's just like working at the local Hardee's, you know? Every, they have the disappearing act at the Hardee's, too, you know? People don't show up to work for whatever reason. Right. It's the same deal, deal if you get an entry-level VA in the Philippines. It's going to be a little tough. But if you, if you pony up some cash and get someone with some real skills, like my man Ian over here. That's right. Yeah, they'll, they'll show up to work and you can, and in terms of cultural issues with that, I mean, 
you know, you're just going to have to allow them, you know, Filipinos are very family oriented and sometimes they're not as proactive as what we're used to in the West. But those issues aside, I mean, not too many cultural considerations in general. No, I wouldn't say so. I would say we're cultural deflationists when it comes to that, that kind of setup. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not some mysterious thing. If they're flaking out on you and acting whack, can them. That's right. Yeah, move on to the next one. Speaking of the next one, Steph says, I'm a designer and I'm working with a web developer to create websites. The problem is, is that this developer is asking for a huge fee and I'm worried that my clients are going to face sticker shock. Should I do a couple loss leaders and work with this developer in order to sort of get the, the wheels greased here? Or... Should I, what, what, what else would you guys suggest in this kind of situation? All right, Steph, I don't know a lot about your situation, but it sounds like you've got somebody that's, uh, that's not a good partner because uh, if you can't meet the price that your customer needs with this person involved, then you're not going to do a lot of business. So I guess what I would suggest is probably finding a new partner, somebody that uh, you can agree on a price that will meet your customer's price. Yeah, I mean, I think you need a better premise too. I mean, you got to go to, if, go to the high end of the market, you ask yourself a couple things. Number one, if you're going to be paying a premium for development costs, your customers better be willing to. So, you, you know, your end product's got to be something great, like whether you're building web applications or intense e-commerce stores or whatever. The other suggestion is go the opposite way. You got to drive down your development costs. If you're just doing basic portfolio websites, maybe that means going with WordPress CMS or something like that. So you don't need to pay some expensive developer. I mean, you can get developers that are competent on WordPress all around the world, looking Eastern Europe and the Philippines and stuff like that. Somebody getting paid, you know, on a project per project basis, 250, 500 bucks. That's something you can charge for. Yeah, there's no shortage of developers out there. If this one's charging you a lot, maybe they're a really good one. And I guess there tends to be a shortage of really good people. So maybe you should go for the high end of the market. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's just about having the right kinds of premise and making sure that you're providing enough value. I mean, if at the end of the day, Steph, there's no money left for you in it, I think that says a lot about the niche. It says a lot about your brand positioning. And that's what you want to look at not hustling up projects that are just going to be loss leaders or break even. That means there's not enough value in the marketplace. you got to find a new position. So let's get moving on to the meat and potatoes. Today we've got a quick one for you. We're going to talk about the seven habits of highly successful lifestyle business owners. That's right. We're going to do the lifestyle business podcast version of the seven habits of highly effective people. This is sort of a, uh, a swan song to the author who recently... Yeah, uh, this, is, this is a good book. So we, we both read the book. So this is a tribute to Stephen Covey and uh, his great work, which I read when I was in high school, actually published in 1989, died recently. So we are going to sort of go back and take a look at these seminal works. I mean, this is one of the most important business books of all time, not of all time, of, 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 the, of the last generation. And let's talk about how those things might have evolved in particular for LBP listeners, because we got our own little vocabulary around here. Yeah, I like this. All right. Number one. The habit is to be proactive. Here on the Lifestyle Business Podcast, we'd call that... Gassing it. That's right. Yes, sir. If you're a Lifestyle Business Podcast listener, you got to give a about what you're doing. And I think it's that tenacity that's fundamental. Giving a crap about what you're doing is going to force you to be proactive. You know, getting on the horn with an influencer, making a cold call. I mean, look, you're not being proactive if you type in a couple things into Google. No? I don't think so. I don't think so either. You have to give a <laughs> Like you said, uh, our whole business is built on giving a I was looking at uh, Q2 reports. Our uh, our main man, Alistair, sent me over 
some information about our business the other day. And one of the number one reasons he cited that we are successful in one of our niches is that we care. I mean, that was his point. He said, like, customer service is at an all-time high. It's unrivaled in the industry. We care. That's why we're number one. We give a We take responsibility for our customers, too. Our customers, do they make mistakes? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Habit number two, begin with the end in mind. Although, if you were a Lifestyle Business podcast listener, you'd call it long ball (laughs) that's right (laughs) we play long ball around here today ian and i got to tell you guys the inside story we were having like an hour-long argument about some business we were going to start or some new thing it wasn't hour long maybe maybe it was a good solid 10 minutes of heated no no it was like 45 minutes and then you said do you remember what she said long ball (laughs) (laughs) you said and i quote this is what the ceo said he said it's a good way to make some quick money. Yeah, I regretted saying that. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow you around with that poster. And I literally, I literally deleted. I was grabbing for straws. I was, I was just grasping. I was, I was trying to hold on to something. But there's a principle there. The moment Ian's argument in his last dying breath was, "This is a good way for us to make some quick money." I deleted the email with the proposal in it. And we immediately shut it off of our business because we are focused on things that are going to create long-term lasting value for our lives and for our businesses. And we don't want to compromise those values to make some quick money. This isn't like back in the day when you used to chop chop cars up and, and sell no, them for parts. Not at all. I mean, this is long, long ball stuff. Uh, so we, we, you know, these days it's really hard. So uh, you know, people used to put together five-year financial business plans and things like that. We put together like six-month plans, yeah. but we do still have three, five years uh, on the horizon in mind. Uh, one of the other points that I want to pull out here with the long ball is uh, assuming you will succeed. Uh, and we've talked about this before. So it's like when you form partnerships, when you start businesses, things like that. One of the things that we didn't do in the beginning, I think, way back in the day was assume we would succeed. Uh, we just kind of uh, assumed we would be, uh, you know, business owners, maybe selling a couple pieces of cat furniture, but we didn't really believe that we were going to succeed in the long term. And I think this goes, like I said, with partnerships. Um, you have to assume that you will succeed. And if your partnership isn't built like you guys are going to succeed, then it might not work. All right. Well, so what if you assume you're going to succeed and then it puts you into a dream world? Where you don't have good touch with reality. Yeah, I think there's a difference. So it's not it's not the narcissistic assume you'll succeed. It is have the confidence to believe that you can to succeed. To be able to think that you could be in that in that arena. Correct. You know, you brought up a really interesting point, which I never thought about, which is if the five-year financial plans aren't working anymore in the, in the business models, the 10-page business models, what does work? And I think what we're finding, it is these mission statements. It is the vision. It's the core values. It's That's the value of having a lifestyle business is that you can always default to like, why am I here? Like, why am I in the game? Why am I showing up every day? Does this particular decision fit that? That's long ball. Number three, put first things first. What's that mean in lifestyle business terms? I think it means we don't have like a short term for this, but uh, only you know what's best. Everyone else uh, can just define what's good. Yeah, I like this point. This is the point I've been racking on a lot lately, which is that there's something about being an entrepreneur that if it's a known quantity, you're not being an entrepreneur anymore. You're being an employee or a freelancer. You're doing the same kind of stuff. It's a known quantity. At the end of the day, as, as an entrepreneur, you have to trust. Like You have to trust your own instincts. You have to trust the information that you've seen, and you have to make a bold decision. 
to move forward, to do something that's not proven. If you're waiting for a chorus of people to be like, yes, oh my gosh, it's so obvious. Oh, it's so obvious. You should drop out of school and start this business. It's not going to happen. That chorus is never going to come your way. You're never going to do what you want to do. Or that ship's already sailed. That ship is already sailed. So we were talking about this today, um, earlier today, about uh, productivity. And I cited the number one thing that you can do to improve your productivity is to hire people. Uh, and part of the reason for that is because as the entrepreneur, you are the only guy that can push your business forward. So only you know what's best for your business. And then you should go and execute on that. Everybody else knows what's good. That's the known quantity. Those are your employees. They can execute on the good. There you go. All right. Number four, think win-win or in the case of the, the Lifestyle Business Podcast, have a great premise. That's right. One of the things that we've been noticing about our business is that we are the same dudes in every niche that we get into, but sometimes we are the champions. Sometimes we are awful. Yeah, that's right. But we're, we're, the, we're the constants in this, this issue. And what we're finding is that sometimes you just don't need to bang your head against a crappy niche. Yeah, it's an interesting concept that I think we're developing here, which is, uh, like you said, we're the same dudes. So why is it that we can execute on some problems and be really successful and others and not be so successful. Another way to look at this is like, you know, what, what a lot of people are trying to reinvent the wheel, like retrain their markets or their passion about an idea. And they're like, oh yeah, well, like we should do this differently and all that. And like, nobody cares. It's like sell what they're buying. And that's have this great premise is, you know, you might have a great idea, but you got to figure out a way to meet the market where they're at. You know, you need to articulate it in such a way that meets them, that, that, that articulates itself as something they want to buy. And then you seduce them into your new plans for the future of the marketplace. I love that idea of uh, sell what they're buying. That's I it. see so many times, uh, you know, recently uh, in forever, I guess, I, I see so much uh, that people try to create this new product like we actually did with cat furniture back in the day. Yeah. We tried to engineer a situation for people and like people were already buying a certain kind of cat furniture. We just should have taken it and rip pivoted and jammed. We should have rip pivoted and jammed. That's episode number 90. It's my number one personal footnote. Everybody loves it. I love it. We rip pivot and jam everything, man. Number five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. In other words, don't be an amateur unless it's in the film business. <laughs> <laughs> That's solid, man. I got to write this stuff down. You know, so I'm a big fan of Pressfield's work, Stephen Pressfield. He, and I just read his newest book. It's not that new, but it, it was his newest one in the series. It's called Turning Pro. And this is all about, you know, this idea we talk about getting over yourself, getting over your ego getting over petty drama and like stupid distractions and what you want. And at the end of the day, it's about being a servant to your craft. And that's being a pro. Yeah, that's totally being a pro. Uh, you know, one thing I want to keep bringing up here is the drama denominator. <laughs> <laughs> and the drama denominator is a guy or a girl that creates drama in their life and it stops them from succeeding at whatever they're trying to achieve. Yeah, and like it's funny how much we can project what's internal on the external. You know, um, I, I had a really honest conversation with an entrepreneur the other day, and he was kind of talking about, oh yeah, then I like grow the business, and then I, I lose everything, but then I like come back and like regain control and I lose everything. And literally, like he goes through this thing, and I'm kind of like nodding my head and listening, and he's like, that's just me, isn't it? And yeah. I'm like, yes. That's just you. And it's interesting because I wasn't thinking that, but like he saw that in himself that 
he, he, you know, was it that every market this guy chooses just like flies up and then goes to goes bust and then comes back? No, it's, it's that's the drama denominator. He's the one that's defining those circumstances. Yeah, and everybody has their shortcomings. I mean, of course, yours and my shortcomings come out in our business every once in a while too. But sure. you know, it's all you can do to try and suppress those. Focus on the craft. Listen to your customers. You second, them first. Number six, synergize. In LBP parlance, we call this one. Building a team. Building a team, that's right. That's the number one thing that we focus on. You know, the other day I wrote that all the productivity tips in the world won't, won't lead up to one pissing vinegar, you know, version of yourself or somebody that's helping you out on your team that believes in your mission. That's right. Uh, we've been on this since uh, way back in the day, and uh, we've talked a lot about how we were nervous when we hired our first employee, but in a lot of ways, it was the best thing we could have done for our business. Talking to Tim Connolly the other day, somebody asked him a question. We were on a call. Uh, they said, how much should I reinvest into my business? It's already going. He said, as much as you can afford. And I think one of the first things that you should purchase in your business or that you should afford is an employee. And habit number seven, Sharpen the saw. This one's a little bit confusing because I don't know what sharpening the saw is all about, but it's essentially like working out and being spiritual and doing yoga and stuff like that. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, LBP version is party all night. Uh, party all night. Yeah, Rock and buddy. roll all day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get moving on to just the tips. That's right. Actually, we have to get moving because we have a little LBP meetup here in... Uh, in a few minutes. Yeah. We gotta yeah. get out the door. We're actually gonna be late. First, tell me how um, you are an online espionage expert. How do you pull it off? Well, I've got a I've got a little uh, tool set here, do and share. so do I'm gonna share. share one of my tips today. <laughs> so uh, I had to track down a uh, a guy on the internet the other day, and uh, so one of the things here is. Uh, a lot of people use the same image for a lot of different things. So like they might use their Facebook profile image is the same as their discuss image, et cetera, et cetera. And if that's the case, which it is with a lot of people because they have one good headshot or yeah. two good headshots, then you can use this tool. And this tool is called TinEye. And uh, it's basically a reverse image search. So what you do is you take a screenshot or you save the image that you found on their Facebook profile, you plug it into TinEye, and then boom, you can see all the other web pages that this image is pasted on. So it's a really good tool, even if you just wanna see where this other person is posting. That's freaking creepy. So I'm gonna go update my dating profiles. Yeah, the uh, the trick here, or the tip here, is to have many images with many different profiles. I'm just gonna Photoshop and flip. Photoshop and flip. Hey, pretty soon here though, they're gonna have facial recognition, so all this is gonna be It's over, useless. man. My freaking skeletons are just dancing out in the street. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're going to play you out with Black and Blue, a track by Mike Snow, a guy that the boss turned me on to. We've been enjoying his new record. Hope you enjoy it, and we will see you next Thursday morning. That's Mike with two eyes. Booyah. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do.
This one's a little bit confusing because I don't know what the sharpening the saw is all about, but it's essentially like working out and being spiritual and doing yoga and stuff like that. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, LBP version is party all night. Uh, party all night. 